This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Brothers and sisters, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته We finished the story, the reflections on the life of Ibrahim عليه السلام We finished that last week Now inshallah I want to move on and take you with me on a beautiful journey With what happened after the life of Ibrahim عليه السلام This great prophet this great figure in our history. We mentioned that he had two sons, Ismail and Ishaq, We also said that he lived to see his grandson, Yaqub, Who can tell me whose son Yaqub, is? Can anyone tell me? So Ishaq, or in English you say Isaac, he is the father of Yaqub. In English, Yaqub is also known as Jacob. And Ismail is also known as Ishmael. It's biblical terms. Ismail died shortly after his father, according to the narrations. But he lived on till just over a hundred years. Ismail went through a lot of trials. And we have a little bit more information about him in the Quran than Ishaq. But what I want to do today, inshallah, is to talk about a little bit about Ismail's character, which Allah spoke about in the Qur'an for us to emulate. And a little bit about Ishaq and Yaqub. After Yaqub is the Prophet Yusuf. And we're going to spend at least two lessons on Prophet Yusuf But today, we're going to start continuing on to the other Prophet called Lut, who existed at the same time as Ibrahim. Then we have time, we'll start with the Prophet Yusuf. And I really encourage, especially the young people, to come to the story, Reflections on the Life of Prophet Yusuf, because the lessons are uncountable in there, especially for the young people. Especially for the young people who are good looking. So if you think you're good looking, come down. Yusuf was very, very good looking. And he has so many trials, and he became a king in the end. So, fame, fortune, and good looks. And Allah loved him. So, inshallah, we'll begin that today, and we'll continue in the weeks to come when I tell you, inshallah. <clears throat> As for now, Ismail alayhi salam. We have a few information, a bit of information about his character. Among the most important characteristics of Ismail alayhi salam is what Allah talks about him in the Quran. And this is the, we, we should emulate what, what I'm about to recite, because we all are probably lacking in this particular characteristic. Allah says in the Qur'an, And mention in the book, Ismail. وَكَانَ يَأْمُرُ أَهْلَهُ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالزَّكَاةِ وَكَانَ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِ مَرْضِيًّا 
and mentioned in the book Ismail. <clears throat> he was always truthful to his promises. He was always truthful when he made a promise. He'd fulfill his promises if he promised someone. What else? He used to command, not just advise, but command his family, his wife and his children to pray their prayers, the salat, and to pay their zakat. You know what zakat is. And on top of that, he was pleasing to his Lord. Let's go through that just for a little bit. Number one, he was honest in his promises. When you make a promise, you should fulfill it. It is narrated that Ismail once promised a particular person to meet him at Asr time of the evening in the day at a particular place. It says he went there and he waited for the man. And he would not leave his spot. The man forgot that he had an appointment with Ismail But he told him, have an appointment with me. And Ismail waited from Asr until Maghrib. So about three hours or more, four hours. He waited for him because he used to fulfill his promise. The man then came in the end and he apologized. But Ismail if he told you, okay, I will, imagine you had a mobile phone. He says to you, I will call you tomorrow at this time. You are sure that he will. If he says to you, I will, do, I will bring this over for you tomorrow, he fulfills it. Even if he made a long-term promise, he says, I promise that I will lead these people into the right direction I'll bring, and I'm going to train them in this way and bring them out this way. He fulfilled it until he finished. To the end. And this is the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, Inna allaha yuhibbul abda idha amila amalan atqanhu aw yutqinhu. Allah loves, not just likes, but loves a person, a servant of his, who when they commence an action, especially if you're relied upon, when you commence a duty, an assignment, you finish it to the end and you do it to the best of your ability. Not just halfway. It's a trait in a lot of us where we start something, halfway we stop it. Now if it's involving only yourself, that's half a problem, but you're developing a bad, a bad trait. It's actually an un-Islamic trait. But especially when you're doing it for someone, you're employed, for example, as an employee. You're working for someone. This is a trust on your neck. You have in your contract that you work this many hours. Then you work those hours. Unless your boss tells, you know, you have an agreement that it's okay, we're flexible with those hours. But depending on the contract, we must fulfill it. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi also said, لَيْسَ مِنَّا What did he say? Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, الْمُؤْمِنُونَ عِنْدَ شُرُوطِهِمْ The believers will always stick to their agreements. This is the high, one of the highest traits of believers, of Muslims. Let me illustrate to you a very quick example because I think it's very important. It's in the life of the Prophet Muhammad I'll tell you what happened. Have you ever heard of Sulh al-Hudaybiyah? Hudaybiyah Treaty? If you have, alhamdulillah, I'll remind you, I'll just remind you of it. If you haven't, then listen. At the time of the Prophet Muhammad we're talking about 16 years after his messenger, messengerhood and they had lots of battles and they won battle of Badr, they lost the battle of Uhud, they got the battle of Khandaq, the trenches, and then finally, the Meccan disbelievers, they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they made an agreement with him. 
They said, let's make an agreement of a truce. Let's not fight each other for ten whole years. You don't harm us, we don't harm you. No one tricks anyone else. So the Prophet ﷺ said, wow, this is a great agreement. This is all Muslims want. We just want peace so that we can spread the teachings of Islam in peace and people can think, not afraid always they're going to die. But guess what happened? The disbelievers placed unfair conditions on the Prophet ﷺ. They said, however, if someone becomes a Muslim, converts to Islam from our people, you are not allowed to take him off us. He has to stay with us. If we decide to torture them, we're going to torture them. If we decide to imprison them, we're going to imprison them. We do whatever we want. You're not allowed to interfere. Not only that, they said, if someone goes back to disbelief, like becomes a Muslim and apostates, he is allowed to come back to us, and you can't prevent him. That's number two. Right? Two very bad. And number three, they were going to do Hajj that year. He said, you're not allowed to do Hajj this year. You can come back next year. So don't complete your journey. So there was terrible. These are unfair conditions. So the Prophet ﷺ, his companions, they were furious. Now they're warriors. When we're talking about warriors, they were fighters. And they were, when it comes to the truth, you can't stand in their way. But the Prophet ﷺ, he said, I agree. The companions were furious. Then he came to write the agreement. He said, from Muhammad, the messenger of God, the kuffar said, no, if, you, if, we knew, if we acknowledge you're a messenger, we wouldn't have fought you. He said, what do you want it? They said, put from Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. He said, okay. He said, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, in the name of Allah, most merciful, most gracious. They said, we don't know of a God named the merciful. They said, well, write Bismillahum, in the name of, of Allah. And the Prophet said, all right. Companions were getting furious. Ali radiallahu anhu wanted to draw his sword and chop the guy's neck off. The other companions, they even got upset to the situation. And the Prophet agreed to it. They walked away and they were upset. Rasul actually told them to do their uthiyah. They had to slaughter their sheep still because they were on their way to hajj. They couldn't do hajj, but they could slaughter. And they wouldn't listen to the Prophet They wouldn't do the uthiyah. That's how furious they were of the, of, of the unfair agreement. From the kafir. So the Prophet ﷺ went inside and his wife, Umm Salama, she advised him. She said, why don't you go and slaughter and they'll follow. So he took his wife's advice and he slaughtered and they all followed. For the next two years, there were Muslims, there were people who embraced Islam and they ran to the Prophet ﷺ and he would return them. And they would say, Ya Rasulullah, they'll torture me, they'll kill me. He said, believers are upon their conditions. He wouldn't take them. And people apostated, return him back. He came Hajj next year. Of course, for the bigger picture, and that is for Islam to spread. And truly it was. More than 20,000 people embraced Islam in only that short time. Before the kuffar, the disbelievers, they betrayed the agreement. They attacked a little tribe or a little group of Muslims and the agreement was off. But the point is, for, the, for two years, Rasul actually stuck to that agreement. Al-mu'minuna inda shurutihim. So Ismail السلام, fulfilled his promises, whether it was in writing or verbal or even by mutual just understanding, he fulfilled his promise. But the first promise that we must fulfill is towards Allah, brothers and sisters. Second promise is towards our brothers and sisters. When we say, I bear witness there is only one God, Muhammad وسلم, is his messenger, I am saying, my Lord, I acknowledge that you are the one worthy of worship, that means I will worship you. I acknowledge that you forgive sins, I will turn to you. 
I acknowledge that you are to be obeyed, so I'm going to obey you as much as I can. And if I make a mistake, I'll turn back to you. Secondly, with human beings, when you say, Salamu alaykum, peace be upon you to your brother or your sister or whoever it is of the Muslims, what does it mean? You're making a contract. You're promising that person that I am going to be peaceful towards you. And when I leave, I'm not going to backbite you or tease you or mock you or betray you. And it's worth mentioning, and I've mentioned this before, we shouldn't blackmail each other with words of the Qur'an. Blackmail, like saying, Brother, Allah says we're brothers. Give me a cheaper price. Brother, Allah said you have to love for your brother what you love for yourself. Give it to me for free. Should they blackmail your Muslim with the hadith? You tell him to love you? Like that. And then the guy starts feeling guilty. What kind of a promise is that? When you say, Salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, you're saying, I acknowledge that you are a Muslim and you have the right. And if you ask me for $5, I'm going to give you 7 You don't have to, but I'm saying that it should be the other way around. You should say to them, Allah said, the brother should love for his brother who loves for himself. He's more. You are my brother. I'm going to, I'm going to look after you better. I am, not you. Okay, so promises and contracts and agreements, the Muslims fulfill them. We fulfill them. <clears throat> I'm not going to go into too much detail about that because we have a lot to cover. He used to command his family to pray. So when it, they had different types of times of prayers than what we had today, five daily prayers, but they still had salat and involved bowing and prostrating. But there were times... He would not let his wife or his children go out of the time of the prayer. He would remind them and command them. The prayer, the salat was the first. Brothers and sisters, let me emphasize this a little bit more. Allah has mentioned over here the salat, followed by the zakah. Why didn't he mention other things? There are thousands of other things we're doing in, in Islam. Why salat and zakat? And you will find that in, throughout the Quran, whenever the salat is mentioned as a command, like command salat, Seek help in salat. What's followed by it? Zakat. Salat and zakat, charity of the zakat, and the salat, the connection with Allah in our five daily prayers, are always mentioned together. After the shahada, after bearing witness, there is only one God, Muhammad How do you keep your connection with Allah? It is through the salat. If you don't have the salat, you're not going to have the connection, man. I'm telling you. You can say to yourself, brother, I've had people saying to me, brother, I, I, you know, I love Allah and I want to be close, but I can't. I don't feel that connection. So, brother, how are your prayers? So, yeah. What do you mean, yeah? Praying on and off. I visited the pre people in prison. And every time, I asked them the same question. So, how is your deen? How is your way of life with Allah? How is your religion with Allah? How is your salah? What do you think the common answers are going to be? Usually say to me, oh, you know, with salat, we don't really pray. I mean, we're trying, but we don't. What do you mean you're trying? It's just bowing and prostrating five times a day. It's easy. It's in your head that's hard. That's why you don't have a connection with Allah. And that's why you're suffering a lot. So Allah subhanahu wa tells us, keep your connection with me. Keep your connection with me. We have a saying in Arabic, it's quite funny. We say, whoever's far away from your eyesight, and you don't see him much, he's going to be far away from your heart. If you don't see someone a long time, he's far away from your heart. You start forgetting them. But you see someone always, always around you. If, I mean, I remember I used to see this person every day. And then one day I got sick, I got sick for about a few days. And the guy comes and says to me, wow, bro, well, it's as if it's been, where have you been? It's been a year. Because we see each other every day. 
It's only been four days. So when you see someone a lot, you have your connection with them much more. You see them less, the connection is less. How do you have that connection with Allah? You have that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this way. You're bowing and prostrating. So if you want to meet your brother or your father or your mother or your daughter or your son, you hug them. Isn't that right? You hug them, you kiss their hand, you have that connection with them. And you see people, but we, we can't hug Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we can't see Allah. So what do we do? We bow and prostrate to Him. This is our connection with Allah. And that is why, as Muslims, we don't bow or prostrate to anyone else. That's why bowing and prostrating to anyone else is forbidden. Even standing up as a glorification, like somebody you know, sits down and expects you to stand up like they're a king or something. I'm not talking about standing when someone walks in, your father, your mother, someone... You know, comes in and you, you stand up out of respect. I'm talking about when a person sits down. It doesn't exist here, but you sit down like kings and you've got to stand up to the king out of reverence to them. This is different. But bowing and prostrating is special with Allah. Special. You see, husband and wife, husband and wife, if they don't have special moments together that are special to them, the connection is not that strong. They always have something special between them. And once they share it with everyone else, it no longer becomes special. So what's the special thing between us and Allah that connects us? It's this salah, bowing and prostrating. And look, only really the Muslims have this five daily prayer of bowing and prostrating. Every other religion has left it. The Christians had bowing and prostrating, they left it. The Jews had bowing and prostrating, they changed it. Only Islam, the Muslims of the religions which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought, kept the salat. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, the main difference between you and the disbelievers is the salah. See, disbelievers fast if they want. They'll fast. Disbelievers make dua. They pray like this. Because when you say to them, I pray, they say, we pray too, don't they? But we don't mean the prayer that they're talking about. They're always meaning, like when you do this and ask grace, or you, you make a, prayer, a dua before eating, or like that. That's not the prayer that we're talking about. We're talking about the special salat of bowing and prostrating. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, or the Prophet ﷺ on his deathbed, he said, on his deathbed, he's dying, and he has a few breaths left. And if we're dying, what do you think we're going to say? If you had a few more breaths, what do you think you're going to say? Uh, imagine what kind of things you will want to say. What does the Prophet ﷺ say? He gets out of his unconsciousness, and he turns around and says, As-salah, as-salah, prayer, like that, you know, struggling. That's the first word he wants to say, as-salah. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. You all have heard of Umar ibn al-Khattab, yeah? Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu is known for his strength, his size, his fighting skills, his strong-mindedness. If he said, I'm going to do this, he'll never change. Before Islam, if he says, I'm going to kill you, he's going to kill you. Even if you ended up, even if he found out that he was wrong and you were right. He said it, he's got to do it. That's how Umar radiyallahu anhu was. After Islam obviously became fair, but listen, when he died, when he was murdered, the, the fire worshipper came in, the Zoroastrian, and he stabbed him with a poisoned dagger. Umar al-Khattab had two more days or three more days to live. What do you think he was saying? He, he went unconscious while he was praying his Fajr prayer. Remember he was praying his Fajr prayer, and he was in prostration praying Imam, and the fire worshipper came, and stabbed him while he was in his prayer. Blood seeped out. His, his son, Abdullah, he came up to him. His son was about 17, 18 years old. He came up to his father, 
after he saw the fire worshiper had stabbed him and they killed him, of course, came up to his father and he came to stop the wound. He says, my fist, my hand, dug inside of my father's stomach. That's how big the wound was. And he was poisoned. And I tried to stop it, but he was going to die, my father. So we took him down to the house and he was unconscious. When he became conscious, my father, Umar the first word he said was, please, did the people pray? Because he was imam, right? So he's responsible for the people praying behind him. Did the people pray their fajr? Did they finish? They said, yes, they prayed. He said, alhamdulillah, bring me some water. Now, why does he want water? Does he want to drink? Doesn't he wash himself? Uh-huh, that's right, he wants to make his wudu. He said, bring me some water, I haven't finished my prayer. I haven't finished my fajr. Bring me water. So he brought water and he made wudu and prayed his fajr. After he finished all that, he asked. Now, I want to ask you a question. If someone stabbed you, God forbid, someone stabbed you, and you went unconscious, and then you awoke, what do you think the first question you're going to ask is? You don't know who stabbed you, right? So what's the first question? Exactly. Who, who did this to me? Who stabbed me? Umar doesn't ask that question. He said, have you prayed? Have they finished? Yes. Alhamdulillah, that's my responsibility gone. Bring me water. I need to pray. I haven't finished my Lord's prayer. After he finished that, he asked, who stabbed me? He said it was the Majusi, the, 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 the fire worshipper. He said, Alhamdulillah, I was stabbed by a disbeliever rather than a believer. Alhamdulillah, I was stabbed with someone that on the day of judgment here, he owes, I owe him nothing. And I can use all my strength against him on the day of judgment. And he has nothing to say to me. Whereas a Muslim, because I'm a leader, they may have something. Maybe I didn't fulfill my responsibility. He was an old man. Maybe I had not looked after him. But he was a disbeliever who I owe nothing to. Not because he's a disbeliever, because he was the fire worshipper whom Umar Dalana was good to. And he owed him nothing. He was a young man, and he stabbed him just because Umar al Khattab was a just leader for the Muslims. As salah is the most important thing. And before I go on, why Ismail alayhi salam is to say to his family, his children, As salah. Brothers and sisters, listen, this is very important, especially the men. Especially the men, then the women. Allah placed the husband in the leadership position of the, in the house. You, my brothers, are, are the heads of the house in Islam. Allah will ask you and me, the husbands, the fathers, on the day of judgment about our wife and about our children before he asks anyone else. He also asks the father about his daughters and about his sons and about his wife. So, the men are first in that responsibility. Allah gave us the leadership role in the house and we must fulfill it. The women must support their husbands in that role. And that when the father's away, the mother carries on the duty of salat with her children. They don't neglect it. Wallahi, I know of a lot of husbands, they tell me, when I pray more, my wife prays more and my children pray more. When I pray less, my wife prays less and my children pray less. Less. They follow us. So we are responsible for them in that sense. There is a story in the Quran about the people of paradise. You know how you, in this life you know people, right? You know friends. You know good and bad friends. You know enemies and, and friends. You know all these types of people. You know the Muslims and the non Muslims. In paradise, when everyone enters, listen to this very important, brothers and sisters. 
when everyone enters paradise and you're comfortable and you're, and, and you're happy, people start asking, hey, where's so-and-so? We don't see him. We didn't see him in paradise. You remember people. You say, where did they go? The people usually you weren't very fond of. And there are also people that you were fond of, but you knew that they were going astray. So the angels come up to, the, to you and they say, such and such a person did not make it into paradise. So the angels then say, would you like to see them? Would you like to see them? And some people of paradise want to see them. So Allah says, tell us in Surah Al-Ma'arij, Except for the people of the right hand, meaning the people of paradise. The people of paradise will be questioning each other, where is so-and-so among the criminals? Like he was a bad person. And then the angels take them to a place and they see them in hellfire, burning. And the first question the people of paradise asks, ask the people who they knew in this life in hellfire, they say, What brought you into hellfire? What made you end up there? And guess what the first response will be from these people? Allah says in the Quran, They will say, we weren't one of those who used to pray. That's the first answer. And when you say musallin, there is a plurality to this word. A consistency. Grammatically, when you say, لم من الذين صلوا, we weren't one of those who, who, who prayed. In, that, in, in the way I said it, it means we prayed once or twice. But they say, لم من المصلين, we weren't one of those who consistently prayed. You see, there's a difference. Consistently prayed. وَلَمْ نَكُنْ نُطْعِمُ الْمِسْكِينَ And we didn't give for the poor. وَكُنَّا نَخُوضُ مَعَ الْخَائِضِينَ And we used to waste our time with those who loved wasting their time. So, you know, you go out with friends, spending your time in the middle of the night somewhere in a bad place, just wasting it and wasting it and wasting it. So Allah says, this is what happens to them. Now, لَمْ نَكُنْ مِنَ الْمُصَلِّينَ We weren't one of those who constantly prayed. In another verse, Allah says in the Quran, فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ Hellfire to those who pray. Hellfire, wail, wail is a place in hellfire, to those who do pray. But what? The ones who pray, but they are neglectful of their prayers. So they pray on and off. Or they pray outside of its time. I met a friend once and he said to me, I pray five times a day, and I sleep during the day. Go, how do you pray five times a day? He said, at night, because I work night shift, I pray, my, I pray five prayers at night. I go, what, what are these prayers? He says, I pray two, and then four, and then four, and then two, and then Fajr comes and I pray two. So I pray Fajr and I add another four. Okay, you can't just make up the times and just pray whenever you want. Allah tells us there are special times for the prayer, and there are reasons why they're at that time. So, Musalleen, you pray them at the way Allah commanded us, at the right time, and you watch what happens to you. If your heart doesn't get connected to Allah, I don't know anything. 
praying properly, like really look after them strict, um, seriously, not just mechanically. So Ismail السلام, He used to command his family to make salat and zakat. The Prophet ﷺ tells us, May Allah have mercy on a, on a husband who wakes up in the Fajr time and then sprinkles water on his wife to wake her up for Fajr. And may Allah have mercy on a wife who gets up for Fajr and sprinkles water on her husband's face to wake up for Fajr. Now some people... I've had some uh, complaints in the past, sisters saying, brother, I did it, and my husband lost it at me. So I say, okay, okay, hold on, we don't want you to, to fight over here. So just sprinkle, what did you do, shower him with a whole bucket or something? So sometimes to sprinkle them, I go, look, what you can do is, if you know your husband well, sprinkle him and run away. Try and run away, by that time he'll calm down, inshallah. But if you know that he's going to lose it, use some other means. But the point is, try your best to wake each other up for Fajr, inshallah, because it's a hard prayer to wake up to when you're, especially when you're tired. So we move on. What's zakat? You've got money that you have to pay on your wealth that you earn. And I'm not going to explain how that is, but zakat is a compulsory part of our annual almsgiving. It's one of the five pillars of Islam. And Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, you ever heard of him? The first Khalifa of the Muslims after the Prophet and the Prophet loved him the most. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, when he became the leader, there was a group of Muslims who left out zakat. They said, since the Prophet has died, we no longer need to pay zakat anymore. No one's going to watch us. There's no need. His past was only in his time. So they made it up. They don't want to pay zakat to the needy and the poor and so on. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said to them, you must pay. And if you don't, then I will use the means which Allah has given me. They said, we refuse to pay and we refuse to carry out this command. They did, they prayed, they prayed salat, they did their hajj, they did their fasting, but zakat, they left it out. They refused. You know what Abu Bakr Dilanu did? He took up arms against them. He took up arms against, he actually got an army to go and fight them until they started to pay zakat again. Zakat is an integral part of our community and our society, especially when we have a Muslim land, Muslim country, Muslim nation. It's a fair system that keeps everybody out of poverty and out of in need, out of debts. We are one body. If one Muslim is in pain, the other Muslims are in pain. And if you are happy, I am happy. We are one body. Until we can get that through our heads, we will not be the glorious nation that we once or many times were in the past. Brothers and sisters in Islam, this is what I had about Ismail salam in general. So jazakumullah khair for being here. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our good deeds. May Allah forgive us, give us his mercy. And grant us his Jannah. Amin. Hada wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.